for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. All right, Mr. Z, I am going to kick off this podcast with a quote from University of Sioux Falls, voice of the Cougars, Tom Frederick, of all people, because this is a very Tom Frederick tweet, and I mean that in the best possible way that probably speaks to you. It's also the most upper Midwestern way I could possibly imagine phrasing this remark, which I think a lot of Vikings fans felt at about 5, 5.30 on Sunday. Quote, if I'm never fortunate to see the Vikings get to another Super Bowl, let alone win one, witnessing the Packers getting denied is a decent consolation prize. <laughs> it's like... A little bit understated there, like how, uh, I, I, and I. so was your tweet after the after Brady and the Bucks beat the Packers about how you were quite satisfied with that outcome, and that's all you had to, had to say about it. I mean, ha, how satisfying? Like, were you, the whole game, just enjoying uh, whenever the Packers were, were self-destructing, especially at the end? Uh, no, I'm not, you know, that's one of the things I think is one of the most legitimate criticisms of Vikings fans that often comes from Packers fans is, you know, how much we, our team sucks so much that we have to live off of watching the other team lose rather than watching our other team win. I've always felt like that was a pretty good point in the favor of Packers fans. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not guilty of doing that at times, uh, but it, it's never like something that is especially a big deal to me. Like, I sat down and watched that whole game. I thought it was a great game. That's what kept my attention. If it had been a bad game or a blowout in either direction, I probably would have changed the channel. Um, but it was a good enough game to keep my attention. I didn't want the Packers to win because I don't like them. I don't like seeing them, you know, go to this. I didn't want to see them in the Super Bowl again. But it certainly wasn't a thing like, ha-ha, you know, this is the next best thing to my team making it. No, I just, you know. And and another thing, I said to this with a couple friends I was exchanging texts with during the day as we were watching the game is, it's easy for me to root for a Tom Brady team no matter who it is because he's already won a zillion rings. So what's another one? You know, like if, uh, you know, the Packers get another one, that hurts a little bit more because they're your division rival. If the Bears win one, same thing. Uh, if, you know, the Cleveland Browns win one, I'll be happy for them because, you know, they're such a, uh, you know, long-suffering franchise and being in the AFC, it's a little less of a thing as a Vikings fan. But that still would have been a little bit painful too to be like, God damn, now the Browns have one before we do? <laughs> you know, so it's always hard for me, like, by the same token, I often root for the Yankees in the playoffs after they beat the Twins because I kind of feel like if my team's not going to beat them, I don't want any team to beat them. It's it's that sort of mentality. So as soon as the the Bucks won the previous week, I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally get behind rooting for Tampa Bay now. I don't give a shit about the Bucks. Uh, it's just that that's a team that I'd rather see Tom Brady win his 27th Super Bowl ring than see Tom uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers get another one. See, and in the sport of football, it is so different. Everything you just said, which most Vikings fans and most NFL fans, no matter what the team is, that's generally how it goes. And I, I know you've said the same thing about the Twins. Like, who, you'd rather not see, I think you, you've said, you'd rather not see the AL team win the World Series most years. Uh, it, and then you look at things like Big Ten 
and SEC football. For I, I, I single out those two conferences because those are the conferences with fan bases that are the craziest and care the most. Is they it, it, bowl games, national championship games, your hated rivals who you hate the shit out of, who you know your school will cheat at no end to get better recruits than and beat, and then. But once you have faced them, and then they'll play a team from another conference, you know, a Big Ten, Ohio State, the bully of the, the the bully of the block, creams everybody almost every year for most people's lives. Then let's root for the Buckeyes when they go play Clemson or Alabama. <laughs> it's just like that is that does not that does not uh, happen in in major sports in the NFL. That's not quite. There's no NFC North pride, baby. Yeah, I mean, I, I've often wondered that when, you know, you see, to use your example, the Big Ten thing, like, are Michigan fans really root, suddenly rooting for Ohio State when they're playing in the national championship? Like, I doubt it. And so, like I said, for me, it's always been when, when my my team doesn't win, like, it's it, it's, it automatically switches to who's the least painful to see of the remaining teams. You know, I, I didn't want the Saints to win. You want the Packers to win. Like I said, you know, the Bucks they won one about, you know, 15 years ago, whatever it was. Um, and, and, and I know it's not just Tom Brady winning a ring, obviously. It's the Tampa Bay Bucks and everything. Um, but, you know, I don't, I've yeah. seen Tom Brady hoist that trophy so many times that it's not like another one is going to make me go, oh, Tom Brady. Yeah. Like, we're kind of past that by now. Yeah, see, to, to me growing up, my parallel when sports meant the universe was as a Chiefs fan, they were like the Vikings, have been for most of our lives, good, not great, always seemed to wilt or crumble or just not have a good enough roster when it came to big games and the rare championship game they would make. And when I was growing up, that was John Elway's prime, and they were always better than the Chiefs, and they always ripped your heart out of your chest. And I I hated that guy. I hated that bastard, and I really hated him and wanted to see him lose in the Super Bowl. And I did get great fulfillment and enjoyment every time he would take the Broncos to a Super Bowl and lose. But then, so there there I transition to Aaron Rodgers. Is it is it is it the same thing? Like, where do you come out? I know you wrote the column a couple of years ago where you you stated that to you, Aaron Rodgers, when it comes to the ability that quarterbacks have, not necessarily, we all know the accolades, it's all in Brady's favor. Uh, and, and it's going to be awfully hard to ever um, duplicate or surpass. But, uh, you know, you called Aaron Rodgers, as a, as a Vikings fan, you, you're able to say, this is the best guy to do it when it comes to pure ability. Uh, but so do you, but when you watch him like that, are you are you happy to see him continue to miserably fail in these championship games and look really sad like he did when he when he hugged Tom Brady? I'm pretty ambivalent towards Aaron Rodgers. Uh, there are times that I find him to be a pretty likable dude for the most part, um, but there's other times where he kind of seems like a douche, and you often wonder which one is the real him. Yeah. You know, um, Favre was kind of the same way. I think all Vikings fans you know, secretly admired certain parts of Brett Favre's persona, which is why they were so quick to embrace him when he joined the Vikings many years later. Um, I don't know if Rodgers quite has that, although if he were to somehow end up on the Vikings in a couple of years, which would not at all surprise me, given that the Vikings have a long history of, you know, bringing in Hall of Fame quarterbacks <laughs> after they're past their prime. Um, Vikings fans would totally embrace him, no matter how much they disliked him before. Um, yeah. But but no, uh, Rodgers has never been a guy that I, I don't root against Aaron Rodgers. I root against the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, we'll see if he comes in, and you're, and you're different. I think a lot of Vikings fans love to hate him, right? They respect him, but I think they, they love to hate him for some of the personality reasons you just said. 
And and I you you just skipped right to the next step I was going to take about Rodgers to the Vikings. And I think if that happened, my, just my guess is it'd be a, it'd be maybe they'd have as explosive and Super Bowl contending of a team as they did in 2009 with Brett Favre. But chances are, of course, he'd elevate them. Of course, they'd be well, really good. Well, right now, but I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying if the Vikings no, end up picking up Aaron Rodgers, we're talking like probably four or five years from now. Yes. No, but yeah. and That's and, what they do. And just, Donovan McNabb. Yeah. Randall Cunningham, right. Jeff George, all these guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if they do, and he's like 40, 41 years old, whatever, just, you know, things change so much in the NFL. We all know that. Windows close real quick. Uh, it feels like years ago when the Vikings were the number one defense in the NFL and on the precipice of the Super Bowl. But like I could just, you know, it's easily predictable that the Vikings will be a, a middling to slightly above average team and roster, whether Mike Zimmer is the coach or not. If Aaron Rodgers comes in in two or three years and he's going to elevate them and then they'll find a way to lose and they'll find a way to not quite be good enough. And that will partly be perhaps if Aaron Rodgers continues his history of how he plays in these games. And and the, I think Sunday cemented even further, obviously. Brady wins almost all these kinds of games, and Aaron Rodgers almost always loses them. Uh, often he doesn't have the same firepower. His team doesn't. He doesn't have as much help. I get it. But at some point, you got to kind of factor in him and his failures and what he does or doesn't bring to the table in these kinds of games. Correct. Yeah, I mean, I thought Aaron Rodgers outplayed Tom Brady on Sunday. You know, Brady threw three picks. You know, Rodgers didn't play awesome, but it was kind of funny that right when, you know, the Bucks went up 28-10, to 10, uh, which was, you know, partially because of some fumbles and mistakes on Green Bay's part that weren't Aaron Rodgers' fault, uh, right when everyone literally is kind of going to the, see, he's the GOAT, this is any doubt, this game's over. It's like, what do you mean this game's over? It's early the third quarter, 28-10. to 10. And uh, then Brady throws interceptions on, I think it was three consecutive series. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't quote me on that. But, I mean, yeah. And and I'm not saying Brady played terrible either. But, I mean, that's a perfect example right there. You know, people I, – I, I would never argue with anyone who says Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. And I think getting to a 10th Super Bowl, I can't even get my, my head around that. Um, that cements it. He is the greatest of all time. Now, when I wrote what I wrote about Aaron Rodgers, I was careful not to use the word greatest. Right. Because I think I think that word kind of means something different than saying best. I still think Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever seen. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? Well, he's been to, what, one Super Bowl. Brady's been to 10. You just can't argue with that. Uh, that said, uh, you know, the, the narrative that has come out of this from the Packers' side of it, and I agree with it, is – you know, what are the Packers doing? Um, Rodgers has his ring, and that's great, and you can never take that away from him. It cements his legacy, all that stuff. Um, but sh- shouldn't he have more? Shouldn't he have been to more of them? I mean, as a Vikings fan, I hate saying that because I still haven't seen my team even appear in one in 40 years. But one thing I do th- kind of sometimes throw in a Packers fan's face, usually my close friends when we're kind of joshing each other, is you've had – the arguably the best quarterback in the NFL for 40 years. It feels mm-hmm. like not quite, let's say 30, um, you know, you know yeah. far for the entirety of his career. And he wasn't always the best quarterback in the league, but he was for long stretches of it. And he was always a top five. Yep. Three time MVP. Or, yep. You're placing with Rogers who somehow manages to be even better. And you get him for 15 years. And in all that, in that 30 year stretch of having, unparalleled quarterback play the most important position in the sport 
in, in the sport where one position makes more of an impact than any other, um, that in theory should get you over a 30-year span, you know, five, six, seven, I don't know how many Super Bowl appearances, potential wins. They have three Super Bowl appearances and two wins. Now, again, that's great for them. That's two more than my team has won. Uh, but it's hard not to look at that and go, haven't they kind of failed Aaron Rodgers? And maybe even, I don't know about Favre as much because he kind of had to build him up from nowhere. Um, but I don't think you, you can look at that objectively and say, yeah, no, that's good. That's all they needed to get out of that. Again, rings are rings and they have their rings. But um, you just have to wonder if they haven't had as good of you know coaching, supporting cast, whatever it is, to do a lot more than what they've done. And I think that's why, you know, if you're Rodgers, th- there is some frustration. I mean, this past year, most of their draft uh, was to build for the future, and that's great. But, you know, yeah. if they had known they were going to be, you know, a touchdown away from being in the Super Bowl, would they maybe have drafted differently? You know, have they had – was was Mike McCarthy the right coach for them all those years? He got him to a Super Bowl. But a lot of people, you know, wonder if some other coach would have gotten him three or four. And I think that's a question that – you know, will never be able to be answered. And Packers fans will probably have to wonder that forever. All that's true. All that is absolutely true. I don't think Mike McCarthy, who you called in that very same column, the uh, walking hamburger bun, uh, may have had some good cutting-edge concepts back in the late 2000s when he took over the job and had Favre for a couple years, and then he and Rodgers went to the Super Bowl. Uh, Clearly, as we all know, as everybody has reported that was a part of Green Bay or covered it in McCarthy's last two or three years, he got old and stale and predictable and apparently, uh, you know, would would get a lot of... (laughs) massages instead of changing his offensive concepts. Um, And uh, LaFleur has certainly given that a spike with whatever he brings to the table, motions before the snaps, blah, 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 blah. That maybe McCarthy wasn't the right coach, uh, at least the last three or four years. And Ted Thompson, who just passed away, the GM, didn't give him enough help, and they never seemed to spend any money on free agency. Plus, it's hard to get good free agents. To, to Green Bay. It's a great organization. It's a tough place to, to, to live, weather-wise and whoever you are. There's just not a lot of Reggie Whites out there that are willing to go play. So, I mean, yes, he hasn't had enough around him. His three recent championship game losses before Saturday were on the road, and that's partly because the Packers had the inferior inferior team and whoever they were going to play. But here's the part where you have to saddle some responsibility to Aaron Rodgers, especially in these championship games like the Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta, they had no shot about four or five years ago in, in Georgia and the, the Seattle game, they blew like a 19, nothing lead. That's combo of coach and quarterback and defense for that matter. Uh, I think it was a 19, nothing lead. They blew in Seattle, but they, 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 in San Francisco last year, they didn't have much of a chance. But what but what what Rodgers should be probably held accountable for, which is part of the reason why Brady, despite despite lesser capabilities, is a better quarterback and a obviously a greater and more accomplished quarterback, is the I I think at some point the leadership aspect of it does matter a little bit. And Aaron Rodgers, as much as I appreciate and get a laugh out of the emo look, the looks, the snarls, the eye rolls, the what am I doing with these dumb fucks? Why can't they ever catch the ball at the right time? And and uh, obviously his spouts here and there with McCarthy and now occasionally LaFleur. He's the, he Brady. And I, I'm guessing you don't love this this remark, but I, I'm certainly hearing it from others. He's got a, he's got a galvanizing quality to him. And it was obvious with all of his teammates at the podium in the championship game 
they fucking love the guy. And uh, he feels like he's more of the coach than the Bucks than Bruce Arians is. Whereas I, it just doesn't, it feels like Rodgers is always kind of out on his own little island. And to me, body language matters a little bit. And it certainly somehow comes up uh, in the end when big plays are needed in big games. Uh, Brady makes a lot more of those. And I think it's a whole big, I think it's a whole big ball of wax there. Plus Aaron Rodgers went a little Brett Favre. He didn't throw a pick, but on that last series, he, he chose to throw some sort of dart across his body that was almost impossible on that third down instead of just run for it. He would have gotten the first down if not the touchdown. It almost seems like he's still too often trying to show off what he's got in a pinch. So I think when it comes, so I think there's a little bit of advantage there with Brady with brains and leadership and galvanizing ability. And I think some of that has to be part of of the Rodgers legacy and not not reaching a Super Bowl for the last decade. I mean, it's possible. Uh, one, th- especially the part about you know leadership. Leadership is obviously something you can't measure, and a lot of times players talk about it just because the media talks about it. You know, just because every guy in the team says, "Oh, he's a great leader," that that doesn't necessarily mean it made everyone play better. But it doesn't mean it doesn't either. You know, there's always people on the other side of that are quick to say, you know, leadership is fake and it's it's just something that people throw around as a cliche. It doesn't really contribute. Anything. Well, prove it. You know, prove that that didn't have some effect. Prove that Tom Brady's teammates don't believe in him more than Aaron Rodgers' teammates and that didn't have an effect on the game. There's no way you can prove that that isn't the case. And I think you raise a good point. It's certainly possible. Um, another thing I noticed watching Brady – I watch him a little more closely this in this game than I often do, and it's not like I watch him often. Usually I maybe see the Patriots play once or twice a year at the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, was just how well you can see, and maybe this comes with age, uh, he knows his limitations. You know, uh, yes. I've defended Kirk Cousins a lot over the years, but boy, uh, it was really apparent that Tom Brady can get rid of the ball better than Kirk Cousins can. You know, Now, granted, Tom Brady also is 43 years old and knows that he has no mobility, essentially, and he's got to get rid of the ball. But there were just so many times where I kind of noticed, huh, they didn't pick up the blitz that time, and Brady still got rid of it. He didn't, you know, go into the fetal position and take a sack like a certain other quarterback seems to do an <laughs> awful lot. Um, so, so I think he deserves credit for that, too. You meant, yeah. I don't, I don't agree necessarily, and I know you didn't outright say this, but I don't think Aaron Rodgers is out there trying to show off what he can do, stuff like that. Um, but there is something to be said for, like I said, recognizing your limitations, you know, understanding what you can't do as well as what you can. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers probably feels like there's nothing that he can't do, and he's, you know, close to right most of the yeah. time. But he's again, I, I, was, I was very impressed with how Brady, you know, obviously he, the, everyone wants a mobile quarterback today. He can barely move. Um, he, his accuracy is not what it used to be. Uh, his arm strength, I, you know, you didn't notice it, but I'm sure it's not what it was when he was 32. Um, but he still played a great game. And there were, you know, a couple interceptions, like I mentioned. But um, that was impressive how he, you know, is not the same quarterback at 43, just like anyone wouldn't be at 33 or 23 or whatever. But he's still extremely effective uh, because of how he's able to, you know, maybe adapt to who he is becoming, you know, embrace getting older and maybe that's something that Rodgers is going to have to do uh if he's going to have any sort of success in the latter stages of his career or, or get back to another Super Bowl yeah it just uh, at some point I think this happens with your teammates as well not just your body language and your leadership ability and in your case that you just made the ability to minimize mistakes but your reputation precedes you and I think that makes it easier to galvanize Brady's new teammates in Tampa he's got the six Super Bowl rings 
And he's got something that obviously Bruce Arians let him bring out to, to, to me, giving me the impression he just took over the, the organization, not just the offense, but the organization. And uh, how do you, I mean, you, you respect it. And then if he obviously, he, he's famous. NFL Films has caught him for lacing into his linemen and in New England. He's not a choir boy. I mean, but he, he just has some sort of effect on guys that, allows them to believe they're going to win, and then they usually do in the biggest times. Whereas Green Bay, with Aaron Rodgers as quarterback the last few years, and especially the last couple, the knocks have been, you punch them in the mouth, you get them behind, they're probably going to lose. Because, and this is partly, yes, Aaron Rodgers' body language. It's just kind of like, oh, shit, here we go again. Oh, And they almost got the comeback. They did almost get the comeback on Sunday, but they didn't. Um, and... I, I was, uh, and I want to get to the the fourth down call, the field goal kick by Lafleur in a moment. But uh, we have to obviously may as well address the Brady and Belichick thing as well. Because first of all, maybe I'm overreaching, but it seems like in his comments, and again, what I observed in the post game ceremony, they're all paying attention to Tom Brady and cheering lustily for him when he goes up to the mic. He's he's a god, and he obviously you'd love to have him on your team. Uh, they were seven and nine with a lot of the same personnel and pretty much the same coaching staff last year. And you know, you're going from a turnover machine in Jameis Winston to Tom Brady, who we've already mentioned is about as efficient and smart as it gets. And sure, it's believable you're going to win a few more games, but to have this dramatic of a turnaround, it feels like Arians is the type of coach that even though early in the season he was saying these kinds of things, like he was tearing into Tom Brady a couple times, like after games he'd be. Overly critical of, of of Brady, and you know maybe just to just to jet out his chest a little bit, and uh, but for the most part, it appears that Arians basically let Brady take over the organization. I he yeah, I, I spent twenty years in a lab uh, watching perfection, not just in how I Tom Brady do it does it, but in Bill Belichick and how that organization works. So if you don't mind me, um, kind of cleaning up the uh, five o'clock cocktail party that you got going on over here in Tampa and have for years uh, you know we could we could make something out of this and uh, and when Bruce Arians goes to the mic in the post game show they, they appear to like him but they're not even paying attention it's like he's a substitute teacher they're not listening to what he has to say to to uh, whoever whoever was interviewing him at the time uh, you know it's and, and I but it's a credit to, to me to Bruce Arians to let Tom Brady take over that whole ship over there is there a question there? <laughs> is there something that there is there something to play off of there? Am I, am, I, mean, am I nuts? Is that because I don't even think that's be, something Belichick obviously was willing to do to make Tom Brady that much of the forefront of the organization? No, he wasn't. But I also, again, I mean, I, I'm certainly not calling Bruce Arians a liar, but I just kind of find it hard to believe that Tom Brady's, you know, running the entire show over there. I'm sure he's running the entire offense, and you know, maybe given the the speeches in the locker room and so but then you know head coaches you know as the saying goes the head coach's job is to coach the coaches so if that's all Arians was doing anyway then maybe that does make Brady sort of the de facto coach and maybe that was um you know ultimately the deciding factor in getting them over the hump but you know let's also remember I mean the Buccaneers aren't that good um the the NFC this year was terrible the two teams that were just playing in the NFC championship game if it wasn't for Dan Bailey the Vikings would have beat them both on the road you know, and the Vikings were not a very good team. So, you know, it, it's easy to see her go, oh, Tom Brady's the greatest. And, the, you know, the Buccaneers, he did it again. They're in the Super Bowl. Um, but, <laughs> you know, they didn't beat 
and they, at no point this year were they an especially dominant team. They got hot at the right time and uh, had some breaks the last couple of weeks to get into the Super Bowl. Yeah. They deserve the credit for that, but I don't think you look at them and go, oh, is there something amazing that they did that maybe, you know, we should, other teams should be looking at, or maybe this is the thing that happened. I, you know, I think a lot of luck was involved and that just wasn't a very good NFC. And and on top of that, we haven't even mentioned it, but we all know it because it's just sort of hovering over this whole season is weird. Just it's a COVID year. Mm-hmm. Like almost everything that takes place sort of has an asterisk attached to it. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a ton to be gleaned from what the Bucks did this year. No, that, that, were, yeah. that was the last team standing, essentially. That's all fair. Although I do think because it is a COVID year, it's pretty amazing that Brady, without a training camp and a preseason, uh, to just go out there almost completely cold with a brand new team. Yeah, I disagree. He's more, more. if anyone's going to be able to survive without a preseason, it's, it's Tom Brady. What's he going to learn in preseason? He wouldn't have even played in preseason. Fair, but it's still a, a brand new quarterback to whatever you got going on there. So, uh, you know that that's uh, you got a good point. I think it, I think it is pretty. Anytime you bring in an absolutely new quarterback, the most important position on the field, and uh, you're not only adjusting to the offense but to your teammates, to your dudes. Um, I would I would I would think that at least that first year, uh, a training camp and a preseason would be nice. Uh, to have would be more impactful to have than than if it's not your first year and you and you just got there. But they the, had a training camp; they just didn't play preseason games. It wasn't a very long. It wasn't, but they didn't have they didn't have the mini <laughs> they didn't have the mini camps. They didn't have the rookie mini camps. They weren't nearly as to get they weren't nearly as together or constructive preseason for several months as they had been. Anyway, okay. here's the question I had for you uh, w- before you asked me if there was a question. Uh, thanks, th- thanks by all the way. F- thanks for always bailing me out too. By the way, here's the question I would have asked: the Brady Belichick thing. Uh, th- I-, I love it when people just automatically drop the gavel and say this proves it. It was it was it was Brady's yeah. genius more than Belichick. That's bullshit. But um, you know, in round one, in year one, yeah, Brady proved his point. The the Patriots were. Uh, rather awful with, as far as I can tell, a lot of the same personnel as uh, they had with Brady last year, and uh, the Bucks were a lot better. But I don't think this means that Belichick was all of a sudden just, now we're going to throw him back in the scrap heap of where we put him in it, it, when he was an unsuccessful coach with the Browns. And did, I mean, um, but do you, yeah, do you think Brady proved anything? Uh, I think he proved a lot about himself just in that he can still play yeah. at his age. I wasn't sure. I certainly didn't think like, you know, he was a, a system quarterback as the joke has gone at times and that he was going to go fall on his face or whatever, or, or that the, I mean, we've all known that, that Brady and Belichick were sort of a, a unit that made the bucks what they are. I mean, Belichick's a defense guy. I'm not saying that that means he doesn't know anything about offense and doesn't have any input on what, the Bucks have done over the years, but I think anyone would probably think on that side of the ball, Brady was the one who was responsible, largely responsible for their success. And then on the defensive side of it, obviously Belichick gets all the credit there because their defense has, you know, been so consistent over the years and almost never having a lot of, you know, all pro caliber players, or at least a lot of years, you know, not having superstar players on that defense other than maybe in the secondary. Um, so, does does what happened this year change all that? No, not for me. And especially because, like I said, the Bucks are in the Super Bowl. They they get credit for that, 
Um, but you know, they, the, like I said, the NFC just wasn't that good this year. You know, the, the, like I said, the Vikings should have beat both of those teams. And the, and I know you don't measure it all against how you played against the Minnesota Vikings, but they're a seven and nine team. You know, they mm-hmm. I, I, they were taking it to the Bucks in Tampa in that game until Dan Bailey missed all those kicks and it kind of fell apart for him. Um, again, credit to what the Bucks did, credit to Tom Brady, um, but you know, I don't I don't think it changes the legacy of anyone yet, other than maybe like I said, just. Brady being able to say, hey, you know, I can still do this at 43. Obviously he can. And so that brings us to the uh, opponent for Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, who had a huge, uh, once again, viewing party with our friends Jackson and his crew at the Gateway Lounge out on West 41st Street, uh, who provides us when we are there. Uh, with the awesome food and beverages they always have on tap at a family joint that happens to be as awesome of a place as you can go to watch sporting events, including NFL Sundays, NFL Playoffs, March Madness, which will come up in March. We're going to get to some college basketball here in a bit with the Jacks and Yotes men and women still just kind of uh, slicing through the Summit League. But it uh, I wasn't there. Had to be a party, although... As I was watching in the Twin Cities with our mutual friend Greg, Matt, um, it's, uh, it's, it, it still feels weird. It's awesome, but it still feels weird. Again, being a fan growing up and still of the, of the AFC's version of the Minnesota Vikings. Good, not great. All, always finding a way to fall flat on your face or just not having the quarterback or maybe having a kind of a pants-crapping coach, whatever it is when the lights are the brightest and for a second straight year to just kind of fall behind in an AFC championship game, especially when you fall behind 10, basically 10, nothing. I know they missed the extra point. You fall be, you fall behind nine, nothing without really touching the ball. And you know, a lot of teams on the planet would kind of feel like, not that it's over, but Oh, we're, this is, we're in for a rough game. And certainly fans would be freaking out. But with the chiefs, that was just kind of like, yeah, big deal. I mean, the guy who fumbled uh, to to help set it, to basically give the Bills a free touchdown at the beginning, Hardman. Andy Reid just goes right back to him. Uh, Patrick Mahomes goes up to him on the sideline and just says, "Ah, eh, you're good. We're fine. Whatever." Uh, there was no Matt Foley motivational speaker speech needed, um, and they 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 just Tyree Kill had a couple early drops, and they just go right back to these guys and they destroy teams with. 20, 30, 40-yard plays, and they outscored the hottest team with the mo- with this most surging offense in the NFL, 38 to six. Uh, basically, after that, after that point, it was it was pretty much a clinic, and it's 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 an odd feeling, just kind of never being that worried that your team's going to win a game like that, even when they get behind 10-0. What were some of your thoughts about that game? Well, I really wanted the Bills to win, and yes. uh, when they went up ten nothing, I felt pretty good about it. Um, actually, it's funny that you mentioned they missed extra point because not that that ended up making any difference, but when they missed that extra point, that was like the first moment where I was kind of like, "Oh shit!" You know, <laughs> not that that point matters all that much, but again, it is kind of a momentum thing, and uh, and obviously you knew, you know, if if what was Houston's lead last year, twenty four nothing. Uh, that yeah, in the divisional playoffs, yeah, it was twenty four nothing. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of knew like, okay, if twenty four nothing isn't safe, ten nothing obviously doesn't mean anything. There was a little bit of a, you know, a hope that maybe the Bills were just sort of a, a team of destiny or whatever. Um, but I think it was pretty clear they were not the better team of the two. Then you throw in the fact that it's in Kansas City. 
Um, <laughs> and not that I buy into much to the, you know, bulletin board material or anything, but I saw it a bunch of different places in the week leading up that there were multiple media platforms out there saying that Josh Allen was the best quarterback on the field in that game, that, that he was the better, but well, the bills are going to win because they have the better quarterback. Like, are you high? Like who was making that? Uh, don't get me wrong. Josh Allen had a great year and especially the way, you know, 50 total touchdowns, his, what he brings as a running threat and obviously a strong arm and all that. But, you know, let's pump the brakes a little bit that this guy has one fantastic season and all of a sudden he's better than Patrick Mahomes. The only I can't believe it's it's it seems crazy to say this, but one year after Mahomes was the league MVP, I feel like he's underrated because he had such an amazing season and made spectacular plays look so easy and continues to do that that now it's almost like people just kind of shrug their shoulders and oh, whatever when he goes out and you know is thirty for thirty nine for three hundred seventy five yards and four touchdowns, which is you know any other quarterbacks, the game of their life. He does that every single week. So now people are just kind of like, well, whatever, you know, like, like it's less spectacular yes. because he does it so easily. Yeah. Uh, no, that makes him more amazing. The fact that he can, you know, just flip a switch and do that every single week. Um, and yeah, maybe he wasn't quite as amazing this year as he was last year, but again, he was fantastic and would be the MVP of the league. Most years this year, it'll go to Rogers probably because his numbers were a little bit better. And, you know, the argument that he he did more with less. But, you know, the Chiefs were probably just the, the most solid, well-rounded team in the league all year. And they still have, you know, a top three quarterback, probably the number one quarterback. You should get to the Super Bowl. So here they are. Mm-hmm. No real surprise if you ask Right. And, and, and not a shitty defense. Two years ago, they had one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And, and uh, I was at your place with Mick and Stu and a few others watching the championship game. And it was like they had the score on almost every possession and and trade blows in a shootout with Brady and the Patriots because they had no defense. And last year was like average and they got by and held serve and played really good defense in the second half to come back and beat the Niners in the Super Bowl. And then this year it's almost I'm, I'm almost willing to say it's pretty good. Like they I mean, that Bill's offense was rocking and rolling and uh, Stefan Diggs had the was the leader in NFL receptions and yards and he was mostly a non-factor I think he had six catches 77 yards um that secondary shut him down pretty good and Josh Allen also this is obviously the biggest game and he's still really young he's he hasn't quite played in these kind of games as young as Mahomes is he's it's felt like he's played in a million of these now uh your, our buddy Greg refers to Josh Allen as the, um, gosh, he's as the kid who's playing PlayStation. He's just putting pushing all the buttons at the same time, just feverishly pushing all the buttons <laughs> at the same time, and just kind of wrecking the car out of control because he's just he, he can do so much and he's just trying to do too much all at once. I guess I'll ask you this because I have a curiosity as a Chiefs fan to ask other people who aren't because I sometimes wonder, well, yes, of course, Mahomes is spectacular and he'd be great on a bunch of teams. He does have the NFL's fastest receiver and best tight end and those guys are impossible to cover and that makes it that much easier for guys like Hardman uh, and uh, when he's healthy, Sammy Watkins and their running backs to make plays. I mean, if you switch those quarterbacks around, since Allen was playing so well coming in, do, do, would you... do? Would you reverse the uh, the result of the game, or is Mahomes that good? You think he could beat the Chiefs if you were the Bills quarterback? Do I think Mahomes could have beat the Chiefs as the Bills quarterback? And if Josh Allen was the Chiefs quarterback, yes. Mm, that's a great question. 
The, I don't know. Because it, it, it's hard to define just absolutely how... We know Patrick Mahomes is great. It's hard to right. find how absolutely great he is because he's got the best supporting cast of weapons and the best offensive coach in the league twenty with 20 years under his belt um, at the controls. So Yeah, I really don't know. I, I'm tempted to say, geez, I don't know. You give Mahomes digs and... Well, although it's pretty much just digs, but, yeah. you know... I think it'd be a close game, and Mahomes can make those two or three plays a game where no other quarterback in the league can make it, whether it's the arm angle yeah. or you think you have him wrapped up and he escapes you. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, Andy Reid, I mean, uh, he's taken a lot of well-deserved shit over the years, mm-hmm. um, but he seems to have uh, really found his his uh, sweet spot in coaching this particular team. Yeah. Maybe that would be what would, you know, push me towards the Chiefs, even if it was Josh Allen and Andy Reid against the Bills, is, you know. Yeah, maybe that would be what pushed me over. Yeah, that's well, a great question, though. Well, thank you. I mean, it's but you could reverse him with yeah, put put Mahomes on a bunch of other of the better teams in the NFL, and how much of a difference would it make? But uh, I'll, right. I'm 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 okay with him just um, with him or being the, the Packers, Chiefs quarterback. Packers Bucks game if Brady and Rodgers had switched. Yeah, he could do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's another thing about Andy Reid that I heard about today, and uh, it, and it made me think of. Uh, it made me think of Mike Zimmer and the Vikings. So Andy Reid, I don't know if he's the guy that invented this, but and this is a point, uh, I'll give credit to Colin Coward, he brought this up today, that John Gruden and Andy Reid have been head coaches in the NFL for about the same period of time. And Gruden was an assistant for Andy in Philadelphia. I think they were both on the staff with Mike Holmgren when Brett Favre was in Green Bay in the 90s and won a Super Bowl. And so, and of course, John Gruden took 10 years off from being a coach, but Gruden is more old school. The Raiders don't have the personnel the Chiefs do, but Gruden is definitely more more like Mike Zimmer. I want to run it, damn it, tough, tough, hard-nosed football. And Andy Reid is the guy that maybe if he didn't invent it, but he has certainly made it much more fashionable to just, yeah, we're going to throw on third and two. Yeah, that's a throwing down. I mean, it's going to be more like a, uh, you know, it's going to be a, an extended version of a run a lot of the time to a Brian Westbrook type of player. But uh, Greg Olson, I guess, who's just retired from the from the league, the, the great tight end, he, he told Colin Cowherd that to, to him this whole run the damn ball thing is kind of nonsense these days when you can't really grab or touch receivers, except in that NFC championship game. They were letting <laughs> they were they were they were letting them mug each other. But for the most part, you, you know, the offensive rules favor the receivers and the quarterbacks, and he thinks trying to cram the ball up the middle all the damn time and even doing uh, doing it on every short yardage situation is uh is Stone Age and pointless. And you can go ahead and say that, yeah, the Vikings have been... I don't want to get into this argument because we had it like every week this season. But the, I was going to say, I think I see where you're going here. Okay. <laughs> but the Chiefs are kind of proof that sometimes if if you have the right pieces, that uh, you can you can detonate some old football ideology a little bit. No? I mean, you know, I think you. no one would criticize the way the Chiefs are doing it. Uh, or the Bills are doing it, or the Packers are doing it, or the Bucks are doing it. I think you play to your strengths. Yeah. And uh, if you have Dalvin Cook on your team, I, I think you'd be stupid to be like, well, you know, running the ball does only get you so far in the NFL, so we're only going to give you the ball 15, 12, 15 times a game, or we're going to throw you a bunch of screen passes or something. I mean, I, there's a lot of different ways to win a football game. And, you know, the NFL probably more than most leagues has always been a copycat league. Uh, but as I've said on this podcast before, and I strongly believe it, I think there's the teams that are are looking for what 
isn't everyone doing? What's something we can do that no one has figured out yet? That's the thing that you're supposed to be doing. That That is what will lead you to success in a, in a quicker fashion. And I think for a while, the Vikings were really onto something with that. They were definitely um, kind of going against the grain for a while there. Um, now some other teams have started, have been doing that too. The Vikings are less original now than they were. And also uh, they're less surprising. You know, teams kind of know what the Vikings are trying to do. So I think they have to, you know, team there's sports is always about adjusting and then adjusting to the adjustments. And that's, where the Vikings are at right now. Um, some teams have figured it out, but even the Kansas city chiefs are going to, at some point, you know, teams are going to adjust, you know, they're not going to be able to just keep doing this exact same thing forever and say, well, you know, Pat Mahomes is just so awesome that, you know, they're going to win six super bowls over the next 12 years. They might win six super bowls over the next 12 years. They might become what the new England Patriots have been for the last 20 years. But even the Patriots didn't do that by bill Belichick, just doing the exact same stuff yeah. for two decades with the exact you know? same people for sure. And right. at some point, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to be able to maintain all the weapons they do have. And by the way, the Niners last year did almost win that way with uh, with old school, hard nosed play action football and a quarterback that isn't necessarily elite or particularly mobile. They didn't, and then they really crashed and burned this year. But to your point, that was uh, they almost made it in vogue and also almost beat the Kansas City damn Chiefs. Uh, with that way of playing football. So uh, we'll see. And uh, you know, next week, uh, I want to get into basketball for the last 15 minutes here, but we can go to uh, Tom Brady among the best American athletes, if not the best of all time, and uh, and other fun stuff in our Super Bowl preview edition of nobody's listening anyway next week. But we do we do like to discuss the, uh, the burning issues and occurrences of sports that go on right here in our hometown, in our home area. And for, I'll stay with football for one second before we get to hoops. Because um, I, I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on Max Hawk. I never was around when he during his heyday, but the former Yankton football coach, just an absolute legend. I still think he, correct me if I'm wrong, owns the most state football championships in the, in the playoff era. And uh, Mr. Old School, do you have any recollections of him or people who knew him or played for him? Uh, no. I never covered him, okay. I believe, and I don't think I played against him either. I think Jim Miner had taken over, Okay, but I could be wrong about that. I'm not sure. Either way, I never met Max, and I all I know about him is that he essentially built uh, the Yankton dynasty that yeah. basically ended around the time the Sioux Falls schools became dominant, and then Yankton had to drop down into a lower class to keep winning state championships. Yeah. Um, but anyway, nah, no, I'm not a lot to add on that. Okay. Apparently a run the ball, old, gruff, uh, my way or the highway type of guy who um, everybody loved, probably mostly because he won. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, I found I, I read a few touching stories here and, there, here and there on social media, but we'll move on. Say, uh, when it comes to the uh, pandemic, uh, there, you know, things do change in sports. You said things can be goofy and a crazy year, and, and maybe helping explain or not explain why Brady and the Buccaneers are are in the Super Bowl. Uh, it, nothing, nothing about the pandemic has changed. In fact, it's probably, if not, uh, in I guess inflated what goes on in Summit League hoops for both men and women's basketball because with the men, Jackson Yotes, in both cases, Jackson Yotes are undefeated and sitting atop uh, both league standings and the bison men uh are, are right there as well it's just uh it's been kind of a, a season of chalk so far in the summit league is there have there, have there been any surprises am i oversimplifying it 
Not really. Um, well, I take that back. I mean, USD six and zero. You mm-hmm. know, and I wasn't. I, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to take credit. Like, oh, I knew it. Nobody else did. I didn't. Um, because also USD has been basically beating up on bad teams. We'll see if they can keep this going um, when they start playing the the other contenders. But having said that, um, I've said this on the podcast a couple times already. Like, I was really surprised at, at how just little anticipation there seemed to be about USD's men this year. Maybe that's because the women are so good that the focus is kind of on that team, but there just didn't seem to be a lot of, Hey, you know, what are the Oaks chances this year? And I sort of get it. The Jacks are loaded and uh, you know, USD has been kind of middling the last couple of years, but I don't know. I, I just looked at Amude coming back and AJ Plitzwhite coming in, you know, he's a really good player and I'm not at all surprised that he's come in and made the impact he has, so them being 6-0 and is a little bit of a surprise. But like I said, uh, they've just been beating up on teams that they're capable of beating. It's going to, you know, starting next week when they get the Jacks and then they got NDSU and then they'll have Oral Roberts, that's when it'll get tougher for them. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, we've almost every series every week is a sweep. You know, ha- UND's managed to get a, a, some splits in there with UMKC. Uh, but for the most part, like you said, it's it's kind of been chalk and um, – at, it, it, the nice thing is the way the schedule is set up, the second half of it, these top four teams, the Jacks, the Coyotes, Oral Roberts, and the Bison are going to be going at it every week, and that's going to make for a fun finish. So I have a fun story to tell about the USD men on Wednesday. I mean, again, this is a guy who lives in Omaha. Texted me, uh, is USD healthy? They got a, they got other players ready for today? I just would like to know for entertainment purposes only. Ask Brian. I don't know. <laughs> and I, and I, that's what I did. And so, and and oh. I, in fact, I asked both Hank and uh, and Jay Elson, and they both said no, not that no, they're full strength. So I texted Lee back, and he said, "Okay, thank you. You're the man. Appreciate it." And then later on, uh, it turns out USD was a seven and a half point favorite. They beat Western Illinois by five, <laughs> and so they didn't cover. And then after the game. Hank tweets, uh, Brian Henshin from the Argus, uh, from Todd Lee's post-game hit with John Thayer, Stanley Amude hasn't been feeling well and unwittingly took PM cold medicine before the game. He did not clear it with the trainer and wasn't feeling too hot during the game. That just sounds like something out of a, like a movie, right? Like, um, you know, if you wanted to make it absurd, just what, I don't, how much would taking the, the cold medicine that knocks you out affect your play during the game? Uh, and so when I told, when I made Lee aware of that after the game, he, he told me he felt pretty good about deciding not to (laughs) lay any bets on that game. That's, that's one of the weirder stories though. He's just like, man, I got lucky. Uh, that's one of the weirder stories I couldn't, um, I remember hearing about a player that didn't play so well during a game because of something like that. When I read that, I was like, I'm kind of surprised that doesn't happen more often because players take aspirin pain relievers stuff like that all the time so i'm a little surprised that that's never happened or maybe it has we just never heard about it i wondered like my first i had a bunch of questions like so did they give him something to counteract it did they like give him a five-hour energy or a red bull or you know did he try to I don't know, make himself barf to puke it out or something like i yeah that's 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 kind of wild <laughs> well what i would love to know also and maybe you've heard because i haven't read anything beyond that tweet is um yeah yeah do they do they even know you know does he even because a lot of you know athletes a lot of the time don't like to tell people they're hurt or tell people they're kind of out of it uh some of these 
you know, some of these guys even and, and women, even though they're good at compartmentalizing as athletes, uh, might have shit going on in their lives or whatever. But sometimes coach, coaches and trainers are not aware of an ailment of any sort, an illness or an ailment. And so did he, did he tell them? Did they just try to manage it? Um, that's... Uh, that was one of the more interesting, interesting things I've read after the fact that might explain. Because I don't know, you can tell me, because Western Illinois is not that good, and that was a five-point game. So maybe that did play a factor. I don't know. Well, Western's getting a little better. Yeah, are they? Rob, okay. Rob Jeter is a good hire. They've, okay. They've, uh, I mean, they haven't beat anybody yet, yeah. but they're. I, I think he's going to – we'll see how good he can get them. Um, but they're, they're a different team than they were, it seems. They're, they play hard. And the Western Illinois women, uh, they they had the lead for a, a lot of the second half against the Yotes, who had been plowing teams over by, what, at 35, 40 points a game? Um, and I I was taking a listen to that after I drove back from my from my game in the Twin Cities with the USF women. I turned on Carter Wardeal's broadcast, and uh, the Yotes were down by like five or six, and it just took them the whole half to kind of finally get over the top and win in the final moments. But do you find that as any sort of chink in the armor thing, or Western Illinois is okay? It's a road game, and and you, you, even even when you're as good as the Yotes are, you're you're not going to destroy everybody. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it was funny when the Jacks played Western; they won both games like by fifteen ish or so. Yeah. One was a little closer than the other. But and there were some Jacks fans in my Twitter mentions going like, "Oh my God, we're only beating Western by 15, and USD's beating Kansas City by 60." They like, and yeah, I mean that that you do kind of go, "Geez, that's some different scores." But you know, the bottom line is win the game, and you know, so when Western played USD close, that told you a couple things. One, like, okay, maybe Western's women are just okay. You know, they don't they aren't just going to be get you know lay down for them, especially at home. Um, and also, you know, USD still won both of those games. You know, even last year when they ran the table, um, I can't remember who it was. might have been Denver uh, or it might have been Western. I, like I said, I don't remember. Someone had them by the balls at the very end, and, and they just couldn't quite hang on, and, and they ended up running the table. But I don't care how good you are. You're not going to win every game by 40 points. And then also, if you just find a way to win. You know, and, and I asked uh, AJ about that in the, one of the weekend pressers, you know, because – they only beat Omaha by a few points. Uh, North Dakota hasn't won a game yet, and the Jacks, you know, won both games comfortably, but didn't exactly run them out of the gym. And he was just like, "Hey, we're six and zero, and in any season, you you never, you know, apologize for any victory. But this year in particular, where you're playing the same team two nights in a row, you know, they get a longer look at you, they get more chances to kind of figure out what you're doing. You don't worry about the score; you just worry about winning the game. Yeah, fair enough. And. Uh... Now the Yotes will not get to play this weekend because they would have had, we would think, a couple of uh, token layup drills against Omaha, who's winless. But they don't get to, of course, because what do you know? Omaha has a positive COVID test case and uh, can't can't make it up to Vermillion to play USD. And Oral Roberts had the bye week. And even Don Plitzewhite said there would be no good reason for Oral Roberts to take their bye week and just come up and play South Dakota when they probably already have to a little bit later in the year. Uh, but what, when you because you, and you tweeted that uh, Omaha backing out was not a big surprise. The Omaha men backed out of SDSU in Omaha a couple of weeks ago. So uh, a, a repeat topic, but d- how often do you think it's going on where teams are just kind of going, eh, we don't really feel like going up and getting getting our asses kicked this weekend, and we don't have to during a COVID year? 
I mean, it's hard to speculate because, you know, that's a, a fairly lofty ex- accusation to, to make. Um, but let's not kid ourselves. It's happening. Um, we saw it happen in FBS football during the fall. We've seen it happen uh, in Division One college basketball before the summer league even got going. And, uh, you know, on some level, it's it's hard to blame them. You know, they're, they're, every game you play, these kids are taking a risk of some level. Um, and so when a school like, say, I think it was Chicago State, you know, they go and play all their money games, make sure they get paid to go to all these road games. And then as soon as those games are over, they say, oh, we're canceling the season uh, because of the safety of our kids. Well, that's obviously bullshit. You made you, you weren't worried about the safety of your kids when you were taking in that money to go on the road for all these games. But that you once you got through it, you are it is safer to not play going forward than to play. So it's hard to just flat out accuse these schools of, you know, doing something underhanded or whatever. I just think it kind of illustrates how many college athletic programs, you know, this pandemic has kind of shown a light on, you know, how many programs are, are are just barely hanging in there. And then, you know, a pandemic comes in like this and and threatens everyone's revenue and puts so much pressure on a a bubble that was already close to bursting in a lot of places. Uh, I think that really exposes a lot. And, you know, if you're the Omaha program or, or any other school that is using, you know, one positive test to kind of decide, oh, I guess we're just not going to play these games because, you know, we weren't going to win anyway. Or we're going to lose a bunch of money if we had to try and play it or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm not saying that's what's going on. Um, that tells you a lot about those programs and makes you wonder what kind of future they have in a post-pandemic world. Yeah. By the way, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the other side. I'll play the devil's advocate here. Schools like the University of Sioux Falls, both their men's and women's teams are defending division champs who are really good again this year. And their men twice have had the back out because of one positive test. And I believe it was both times uh, on the Cougars' side. And same thing for the women once. And those are really good teams. And, you know, I salute them over there because I'm not, I'm not so sure if the Northern Sun makes every team uh, or checks in on every team when it comes to they're going to play or not if they have one, one, one positive case. But USF's not backing out of these games. They're Obviously, they, they want to play all of them because they feel like they can beat anybody in the league. And, um, but they're Pam Goal and crew, they want to keep them safe over there. So, it's, again, it's hard to tell. It's tough to speculate. Um, Last note here, by the way, you're, you're, you're getting a little bit of, uh, of a reverse of your wish uh, that so many good South Dakota high school football players don't go to Nebraska like they keep doing, like the Farniocs and Nathan Gary and Randolph Kapai. Uh, both the Farniocs are, are uh, exiting stage left. Matt's going to enter the NFL draft, and Will's deciding to transfer. So there you go. You're starting to get your wish. They figured it out. Good for them. Well, time. well, Nebraska lost. It's uh, Luke McCaffrey today. He was one of their quarterbacks, and you know Ed McCaffrey's son, Christian McCaffrey's brother, and they couldn't figure out whether to use him better at quarterback or receiver. He's leaving. Their best playmaker, Wandale Robinson, is leaving. Quite apparent right now that Scott Frost is not a very good coach at Nebraska. He might end up being one, and he might have been a great coach at Central Florida. It's not going well there. I mean, it's like a mass exodus, and I know a lot of kids everywhere are transferring, but wow. <laughs> it's uh, it shouldn't have been. I know it's much tougher to win at Nebraska than it used to be, but it's not this tough. And now he's having a hard time keeping the the players that give him the best chance to win. Last one, Larry King. Anything to say? Houston, Sioux Falls. Hello. Yes, yes, I do. I would uh, recommend anyone uh, 
who had even a, a little bit of a soft spot for Larry King, uh, look up on the internet um, two stories that he told on TV. I never watched Larry King's show, but he was often a guest on like Kimmel or Conan or something, sure. and he was always great. Uh, he was on Conan once, and he told he's told the story other times. I couldn't find the version of it on Conan, but I found a version of it. Very early in his career, he was working as a late night DJ, like the over, like the midnight shift or whatever. And uh, a woman called him to seduce him, basically, and said, "I'm naked. Come over right now, and uh, I'll let you figure out how that story ends." Um, and then the other one. It's called the Gil Mapo story. He told it on the Jimmy Kimmel show from back when he was in junior high school. So we're talking like probably the 1940s and a prank that him and his uh, schoolmates pulled that got them in big trouble. Big, big, big laughs at the end of that story. Both of those are well worth your time. Okay, fair enough. I, I hear not whatever great story I'm about to discover off the first one, but there used to be a golden age of radio up until, I don't know, about the time that I got into it where it was just a much better, bigger deal to be a personality on the, on the radio. And I have like friends who are just a little bit older than me who have been in radio forever that have those kinds of stories. Like they were gods and women wanted <laughs> women. I've, I, one of my buddies who's not like a, you know, bowl, your, bowl you over Ken doll good looks who just by, I guess, the power of his voice and his evening radio shift, he would have women like come to the to the window of the radio studio and just press their <laughs> boobs up against the studio. Like, wow. <laughs> we're, we're not quite on that plane anymore in the radio business. I don't know about the sports writing business, but uh, our status has somewhat um, deflated since then. What about sports writing? Oh, I do great. And it's strictly because, <laughs> of, because of my status as a sports writer yeah. <laughs> all right zim we'll talk to you next week thanks as always thanks. see ya mad simmer argus leader still has his job in that profession and uh it was fun as always and uh and one of these days we will see each other in person again at the gateway doing this where it is meant to be hopefully a lot sooner than later if we can get these vaccinations rolled out in the meantime Gateway is open. If you would like to go in, great. They'd love to have you. And they're a great place to be, especially for Chiefs games. It's a Chiefs bar. So Super Bowl, probably going to be a little off the chain. But if you are not ready to go back into restaurants yet, want to keep it safe, help out a local business. These are really good people that are excellent to their employees. They need your help. Locally owned, third generation business. It's a friendly neighborhood bar, and you can get takeout if you want to eat their incredible food. Pizza, wings, beef chislick, salads. They got great lunch specials as well. Comfort food for $7 every weekday for lunch. And just for that, they're a fun follow on Facebook and Twitter. The Gateway Lounge, gateway to your heart and your soul and your taste buds. It's out on West 41st Street, just off of I-29. For Matt, I'm John. Talk to you next time on Nobody's Listening Anyway. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. <laughs> you guys need a round of drinks? Yes. Yeah.